0: Aren't you glad to be a child of the King this morning? Yes. Aren't you glad your name has been recorded in the Lamb's book of life? Yes. If you're born again today, you have that guarantee that your name has been recorded in the Lamb's book of life, never to be blotted out. What security, what peace, and what joy that ought to bring to our hearts. So we need to, we need to lighten our hearts this morning a little bit. Open our hearts and our minds to the Word of God and uh, let's just get into this service and uh, listen to the Word of God and uh, as we sing and as we pray and all these other things that we do here. We're just, we just—we want you to know that we're glad that you're here and we. this is the Lord's house and we gather here to worship and to praise Him and to learn of Him and, and the glorious things that He has prepared for His people is literally out of this world. Stand with me, if you will, for just a moment. We'll get a little bit of leg exercise here. I won't run you up and down too much, but uh, we're in the book of John, chapter 2. John chapter 2 begins like this, verse 1, on the third day... There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. They're out. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six water or six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So, so they filled them up to the brim, and he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples. Believed in him go to the lord in prayer father we thank you for this glorious day that you've made a day like no other day this is the day that you've made lord for this time for this moment and everyone that's here this morning is not here by accident but they're providentially brought this way even though we may think we make our own decisions, we know that our steps are ordered by you. And we're thankful that they are, Lord, because if we were left to our own devices, we couldn't make it anywhere. So we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your, and, and your providential uh, grace and, um, and your common grace, Lord, upon each and every one of us. Father, we thank you for our church, for our family in the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord. For the encouragement that we, that, that we have here among our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word and how it can change a, a broken heart and make it brand new, how it can take a, take a stony heart and give, and give us a heart of flesh, how it can mold us and shape us into the vessels that you would have us to be, Lord. We pray that your word uh, this morning, Lord, will go out in a way that will bring glory and honor to you and to your kingdom. Lord lead us and guide us Lord in this service it's all about you Jesus we give you praise and honor in Jesus holy name we pray amen, amen. you may be seated thank you over the past several weeks we've uh, we've been progressing through the chapter of chapter 1 of the book of John we're going through the book of John verse by verse that's called expository Preaching. And, um, I enjoyed. Topical preaching, but I enjoy expository preaching. In other words, I, I I like it explained to me. Okay, I like to understand what in the world does this does this mean. We always, we always want to keep the Word of God in context, not just go in and pick out this that we like and pick out that that, that we like and 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 then somehow put, come up with our own interpretation. But we know the Word of God says that the, the the scriptures are not a matter of one's own interpretation. There is a meaning that God wants. Us to have, so we're, we're we're going through the scriptures here, verse by verse, and over over the past several weeks. Uh, well, let me say this: last year we went through the book of Revelation, took took about ten and a half months to do it, and I believe that we grew uh, exponentially. Uh, By doing that, so uh, pray for us this morning as we go into the into the scriptures and as as we begin to try to expose or exposit uh, what the word of God is saying over the course uh, uh, of time. um, John wrote uh, this book of John, and uh, the writer of the book of of John is obviously John. He was the apostle John, and now that's not to be confused with John the Baptist. There's two Johns here. There's John the writer, he is the apostle, and there's John the Baptist. So the apostle John makes it very clear, he makes it crystal clear in the very first five verses that Christ is eternal. He's more than a man, he's more than a baby from Bethlehem lying in a manger. He's eternal. Christ eternally pre-existed. It is, He existed prior to the creation of all of the universe, of all of the world, of all of the universe, of everything that's been made, Christ made it. And it was prior to Him putting on His flesh, the flesh of man, that He created all things. Christ is the creator of all things. Christ is the creator of life. He is, in fact, life himself. And he gives life. And apart from him, life does not exist. Then John tells of a a certain prophet. He's a forerunner. He's a special witness sent from God. He's a special witness that's sent from God. And he's on a mission. And he's coming to announce the coming of one. He's the king. The king is coming. That prophet is John the Baptist. And he was a great man, but he was not the one. He was not the Messiah. He was the forerunner. He was announcing that to those who were anticipating the king that he's coming, make his path straight. You know something, John was only a prophet. He was a great man, but he was only a prophet. He was not the Messiah. He was not that anticipated king that the the world had been looking for. In fact, did you know that John the Baptist even determined that I am not worthy to even unlatch his shoes? With his his disciples, with John the Baptist's disciples, he pointed them continuously, continuously to Jesus, to the Messiah that was to come. John always decreased himself and always increased the Messiah. John was asked by a suspicious religionist, Who are you? Tell us who you are. Who are you? And John answered, I am not the Christ. Nor am I Elijah, nor that prophet. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said, Although the Messiah was anticipated to come into the world, when He came, He was tragically rejected. He was rejected by the world. 2020, Jesus is rejected by the world. I guarantee you, church, if we try to go out and love up on the, uh, up on the world and bring them into our, our hearts and minds, they won't accept it. They despise righteousness, holiness, being set apart, living for Jesus Christ. Jesus is life, but you know something? He is also light. Jesus is the light. Christ is the source of light. And in Him, the Bible says that there's no darkness at all. He is the light of the world. The whole world. He's also the light of that city when we get up yonder in heaven. Man. He's going to light up not only that city, but He's going to light up the new heavens and the new earth. Man. He is the source of life and He's the, sort of li- uh, the source of life. But the world rejected Him and they will continue to reject Him To ultimately the world is going to be- fall under the judgment of a righteous and holy God. They're going to fall under the judgment. And it's going to be deserved. It's going to be quick. It's going to be swift. But it's going to be eternal. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And, there, and we, the, the two shall not come together. There's a great difference. There's a great gulf in between the two. Choose who we will serve. It's up to us to Choose. But the prophet John, he bore witness of the Holy Spirit. That is, he saw the Holy Spirit that descended from heaven like a dove. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him on the Lord Jesus Christ when he was down there being baptized. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit remained upon him. It didn't leave him. I'm glad the Holy Spirit remains upon us today. I'm glad that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit today. I'm glad that we don't stand in our own power, that we don't stand under our own strength, but we're empowered. If you're born again and walking with Jesus Christ, you are being powered by the Holy Spirit that's leading you and guiding you and convicting you when you slip up and make a mistake. Thank the Lord that we have the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And you know something, not only did John see the Holy Spirit descend upon the Lord Jesus Christ like a dove, but I believe just to make sure that John understand that he wasn't just seeing or hallucinating or seeing something um, uh, of his own imagination, he also heard a voice that came from the throne of heaven. It was the voice of God himself. And you know what he said. He said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. While baptizing in in the village of Bethany, John saw Jesus walking along the banks of the Jordan River. And he said to Andrew and John, Behold, the Lamb of God. When they saw him, the Bible teaches that they immediately left John and followed Christ. They followed Jesus. So Andrew and John are the first converts. And shortly thereafter, Simon, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel were were believers as well. And this all took place in Bethany, down there by the river Jordan. Jordan. Now, leaving the village of Bethany and the Jordan River, Jesus and his new disciples arrived in the village of Cana Cana of Galilee. And we'll pick up our text right there, by the way. John 2, 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. You see, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. It doesn't give us any names of who the bride and the groom are. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even mention the bride at all. It only mentions the groom. It only mentions the groom. But the marriage took place on the third day after Jesus came into Galilee. And two days after Nathaniel's encounter with Jesus. Now we find that the mother of Jesus, not, not mentioned by name, she was only mentioned as his mother. She was at the wedding as well. Now she might have she might have had a relative there, she may have had a friend there, but it seems that behind the scenes she was working in this wedding she was helping in this wedding and in those days weddings were were, were were much more revered than they are today a wedding could last a week everyone around was invited it wasn't just a few but everyone around was invited and uh, as a matter of fact it was an insult not to invite everyone so there was a lot of preparation that had to take place for this wedding if y'all can only see what I'm thinking in the back of my mind. We find, though, that the mother of Jesus, she was working in, 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 uh, behind the scenes. And it appears that she may have had some type of role as a servant there. And Jewish weddings, as I said, they're a major social event. A time of special focus that is not put only on the bride and only on the groom, but also on all of their family. It was a family affair. It wasn't just two, but it was a family affair. Think with me. You may ask, where's Joseph at here in this picture, Daryl? You're talking about the mother of Jesus. Where's Joseph? Well, he's not mentioned. It's believed that by now that Joseph may have already died. It, in fact, he may have died many years earlier. Perhaps he's been gone for years. But Jewish weddings, they were a major, major event. Now, having been invited, here Jesus was at this wedding along with his new disciples, and the mother of Jesus comes to him with a very unusual request. A major crisis was about to happen at the wedding celebration if somebody didn't do something. Something needed to happen. There was going to be a great deal of disappointment and a great deal of, of, uh, of, uh, being held accountable, it was rude not to be prepared for the wedding. So they were out of out of wine. So let's look at this. Verse 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. In that day, as I said, wine, wine is an important element in uh, their diet back in that in that day. Wine was greatly diluted by, by water, by the way. Matter of fact, the Bible speaks against strong drink. So, this wine is diluted. It's not strong drink. The Bible tells us not to be drunk with wine, right? So, it's diluted, uh, this wine is. There was no thought of drunkenness that's connected with this occasion. So, we see that many ministers are asked to come to weddings, to officiate a wedding. Afterwards, they have all of the drinking and dancing, and that's not what this was. It's not what this was at all. But this is not an intoxicated wedding at all. This wedding is a picture of another wedding that is coming. Did you know there's another wedding coming? There's a great celebration coming. There won't be no drunkenness at that wedding either. Christ began his ministry on this earth at a wedding that he was invited to, and you know what? He's going to conclude he's going to conclude his ministry, as far as church is concerned, with a wedding. and this wedding is going to be only for the invited guests at the marriage supper of the lamb. The church will be presented to him as the bride. Bride. So all of this is symbolic. I think you may be catching on by now. This is all symbolic of what's going to take place at that heavenly wedding. Verse 4, And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not come. This is indeed an an abrupt and startling reply. Jesus' reply is, Woman, what does that have to do with us? It signaled a major change in their relationship. Jesus was not disrespecting His mother in any kind of way by referring to her as a woman. It's like saying, ma'am, actually. Ma'am. So Mary had to understand that Jesus was more, much more, than a son. He was Lord. He was God. So Jesus firmly informed her that what they had in common in their relationship was no longer to be what it had been while he was growing up in Nazareth. His public ministry had begun and his earthly relationships would not determine his actions. Mary didn't have the last say. Mary was, was not to relate to him no longer as her son, but as her Messiah, as the Son of God, as her Savior. Now, Jesus' death and glorification is in view here when He says, My hour has not yet come. It was not yet the appointed time for Jesus' full messianic glory to be revealed. It was not yet time. He would act on God's timetable as determined before the foundation of the world. You know something? He wasn't just stumbling through this his, his walk in this earth. It was all foreordained. It was all foredetermined. And so, our, as, I, as I said earlier, our steps are ordered in this life. You may think you're stumbling, but the Lord is carrying you. The Lord is carrying you every step of the way. It may feel a little awkward sometimes, but the Lord is carrying us Nevertheless. But it wasn't yet Jesus' time to be glorified. He would act on His timetable. And He was about to perform a miracle. And the miracle that He would perform would make His divine power unmistakable. And preview His glory to come. The dark hour on the cross would precede the full revelation Of his glorious Messianic kingdom, where wine, emblematic of joy and gladness, will abound. You know something, Jesus Christ is going to give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's going to be joyous, like the wine represents here. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be beautiful. Uh, uh, The Book of Amos nine thirteen. It says behold days are coming declares the lord when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes will uh the, the treader the treader of grapes how he sows seed when the mountains will drip sweet wine and all the hills will be d- dissolved also i will restore the captivity of my people israel and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them And they will plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. Jesus was always focused upon his purpose for coming to this earth. To face his hour. To die for man's salvation. And Mary had to begin to understand that he was her son, but most of all, he was the son of God. He was of the spirit and he was God in the flesh. Probably a little stunned by his reply, and having received his correction, Mary was still undeterred by the mild rebuke of her Lord. The mild rebuke that he was not saying no to the request. John 2 5 says, His mother said to him, or said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. What wonderful advice is that? Whatever Jesus says to you, do it. That's for all of us today. What wonderful advice. Mary's, Mary's charge to the servants was, was necessary, since they may have otherwise hesitated to follow the strange instructions that were about to be given by Jesus. You see, Jesus was an invited guest. But you know something? There's coming a wedding where He's going to be the one inviting the guests. He's gonna be the one. He's gonna be the bro- He's gonna be the groom. John 2, 6 says, Now there were six water pots. Let's look at this miracle that's about to happen here. Actually, it's a sign. It's a sign and a miracle both. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. That's about a hundred and, what is that? About 120 to 180 gallons of, of water put in these pots? And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them to the brim. All of this is significant. Every word is significant. So what the Gentiles, so what we Gentiles could understand, he explained it to us like this. He calls them the stone water pots. And they were were used for the Jewish custom of purification. They would wash they, were, they would wash the pots, and they would, they would wash the sacrifice. The six stone water p- pots could each hold, as I said, 20 to 30 gallons of water each. It's a large amount of water here, they, but they were placed out of the way. They, they would not be in the banquet hall. They would be out of the way where they couldn't be seen. They, they weren't lovely to look upon. But Jesus had a plan for these water pots. Now, already we're told here that, that the Lord has a better plan. Aren't we glad of that? Aren't we glad that the Lord has a better plan? Now, something to keep in mind is there's, there's just, there just happens to be six water pots. Now, we know that numbers in the Bible mean something oftentimes. We know the number six means falling short. The number six is falling short of the perfect seven. And there seems to be an object lesson here. The number six was the worst number to the Jews because it did indeed just fall short of perfect. And the water pots were identified with ceremonial law. So then what if we fill each pot with water to the brim? Wouldn't this signify fulfillment or completion? He said, fill those stony water pots to the brim. Fill them up. He said, fill up the water pots with water. So in response, they fill them up to the brim. So then the filling of each pot with water to the brim, could it not signify the fulfillment or, or completion of the law? That's what it signifies here. The filling of the water pots with water to the brim symbolizes Judaism with its rituals. Thank you, Lord, for having filled up the water pots because you have a better way. We know they've been fulfilled. It has a purpose. And while the new wine symbolized a new, cre- uh, a new creation, in other words, the new wine symbolizes Christianity, it symbolizes full of joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. That's what it is to be filled as a Christian. Me and Sister Brenda was talking earlier on that. Oh, the joy in our hearts. You don't look upon the world. You look upon the world and you get discouraged. We walk by faith and not by sight. Be filled with the Spirit of the Lord. It'll be joy, and it'll bring gladness to your heart. Though you may be disappointed with things in life, though you may get discouraged sometimes, all you have to do is look into your heart where the Lord Jesus Christ is dealing with you. And it'll bring gladness to you. It'll put a smile on your face. So with this in mind, let's continue on. After the pots were filled, Jesus instructed them. Here in verse 8, He said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to Him. Now, why take it to the head waiter? Well, the head waiter, he was responsible for making sure that the guests were supplied with proper quality food or proper quality drink. But he was also responsible for making sure that the food and drink was sufficient, acceptable to be served to these invited guests. John 9 says, When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, he didn't know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called to the bridegroom. The head waiter called to the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Let me tell you something. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be better than we could ever imagine. It's going to be sweet. So the head waiter uh, took a taste test, not knowing that he was drinking well water. Here he is. He's taking a taste of it. And, And this water, this well water, this old well water was miraculously transformed into a new wine by the true vine. He's the one who transformed what could barely be drunk, drank and turned it into something sweet and to be desired. That's what that's what the Lord Jesus is going to do with our life. The struggles of life that we have, he's going to you are going to trade the cross for a crown. You're going to take off the old coat and put on the new. It's going to be glorious. We're going to lay down the the body that is growing old and frail and tired and put on a brand new glorified body. There's so much in here I could go on all day long. There's so much. Thank you, Lord. But surely this was the sweetest and the freshest wine that had ever been put into the mouth of any man. This wine did not come from the normal processes of fermentation. It didn't come from a bottle made somewhere else. It didn't even come from grapes. It didn't come from a natural vine. It didn't come from the earth at all. It didn't come from the shining of the sun, the S-U-N. But it came from the S-O-N. The Lord brought it into existence from absolutely nothing. That's what He does. He takes our nothingness and makes something glorious out of it. Truly, to any mind that can think, they would realize that this is evidence that Jesus is the Creator Many don't quite understand that. as Pastor Steve uh, kind of reminded me in, a, in, in a, a chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 5 in the book of John. Now that we know who Jesus is, and he was spot on when he said that. We've got to understand who this Jesus is. He wasn't some hippie that, that, that went to the cross and foolishly gave his life for us. As being portrayed often times. But he was God in the flesh. He's God in the flesh. Poured himself out for you and I. But the Bible says that the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him. Every man serves the good wine first. And the people. When the people have drunk freely. Then he serves the poor wine. Now catch this. But You have kept the good wine until now. Amen. Friend, this seems to suggest to me that the Spirit, the good wine, is superior to the former law, Amen. the law of water. Now this isn't a cheap, a cheap imitation just to dull the senses of a man. But this is good wine. Amen. This is good wine. What the bridegroom provides is the best wine. The bridegroom does not disappoint. He's not going to disappoint you. He's going to amaze you. This entire miraculous episode declares to those who saw this miracle take place, that old well water turned into the sweetest drink. declares to those who saw it that Jesus had the right. He had the right to bring the the old ways to fulfillment and originate the new ways. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law, but I came to fulfill it. And He did. He did. He was the fulfillment of it. That's what Jesus did. And a splendid reason for doing it. That's what he did. Jesus had no interest in this wedding to merely make wine. Jesus wasn't a bootlegger. He wasn't a bootlegger. His mission was not to make the, make the wedding feast merry. Staggering drunks in the wedding, that's not, what, that's not what he was there to do. But he was simply revealing himself with this sign of, to lead men into believing him as creator and Lord of his new kingdom. Did he accomplish this? Look in verse 11. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now let me me pause just a moment and say that the Apostle John... His gospel is different from the other three Gospels Matthew Mark and Luke those are the are the synoptic Gospels. those gospels are, are closely related in a, in a chronological order uh, and they're they're just different from the book of John. The book of John uh, gives us uh, signs and it gives us uh, it actually points us to the realization that Jesus is the Son of God. He really is who He is. So here John says that this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested His glory. Now this is the very first uh, miracle or sign that Jesus does as recorded in Scripture. Scripture. And in doing so, it says that he manifested his glory, that is, he put his deity on display. Amen. You see, he was Mary's son. Would you believe it if someone told you they were somebody unless they could prove it to you? So this was Mary's son and supposedly Joseph's. So who was he to be claiming to be the Son of God. So these signs are indeed signs. Miracles aren't being worked just to be working miracles and to be showing out, but it's to say, look, no one but God can do these things. So this is all to prove who Jesus the man was, that he was God. He was God in the flesh. Now, Jesus' signs, as I said, were not simply powerful displays of compassion, but they were designed to reveal who He really was. The marvelous result of this was His disciples believed in Him. That's the wonder of this. He not only claimed to be somebody... But the disciples believed Him. They were convinced that what they saw, it was substantiated by how He lived, how He talked, and the miracles that He performed. What they saw in Him was life-changing. They had heard John the Baptist's testimony in John one thirty-four. He says, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. They heard in Jesus' own words. He says, Come and you'll see. That's the invitation to everyone who's ever doubted Jesus. Come, and you'll see. Come and learn of me. Come. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. Give him a try. You'll not be disappointed. Maybe there's not a lost person in the house. Maybe maybe there's people that that, that are listening by way of YouTube or Facebook. Maybe they're the ones. uh, Maybe there's someone that's sitting there that, that... just don't quite understand that, hey, you mean I can actually come to Christ? Yes, you can. Come. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You want rest today? You know something? The whole world is chasing rest. They're all chasing, chasing a, a, an opportunity to go on vacation. They're all ch- chasing an opportunity to, to find comfort. Maybe a bigger house will bring comfort to me or a finer car will bring comfort to me. A bigger bank account will give me security. They're looking for comfort and security. And there's only one place to find it. Church, and we know it. We found it. We found it. Andrew found his brother Simon and he declared to him, he said, we have found the Messiah. They saw firsthand the miraculous confirmation of that faith. That wonderful truth is this. Multitudes of people who would, who would read this gospel of John would come to believe, even as his first disciples did. Whosoever will and let them come and drink of this water of life freely. It don't get no easier than that. What in the world is the world holding on to? What are people holding on to in this world that is worth giving up eternal life in heaven? I don't understand it. But we know the devil has people's eyes blinded. We know people are blinded by the truth or from the truth. John's whole purpose for writing not only this account of of this miracle but also this entire gospel was this, look at this, John 20 and 30. He said, Therefore many other signs Jesus also also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That is the purpose of John writing the book. So that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's not the Jenny in a bottle. He's not someone that you make wishes to. But he is God, nevertheless, no matter if we accept it or not, he is still God. No matter how many times the world rejects him, he is still God. The word says, and they believe, and they believe, and that believing you may have life in his name. What a promise. What a promise. An important lesson here. From our main, in our main text is this. Is that when we take the water that He gives, the water that He gives, we're filled. Never to thirst again. You remember at the well, the woman at the well? The water that she gave wouldn't last very long. But He told her, if you would ask, the water that I'd give you you'd never thirst again. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? You may have been a Christian for a long time. But are you thirsty? The Bible says, Blessed is he that thirsts and hunger for righteousness. Blessed is he. He supplies all that we need, church. When the water leaves the pots and gets to those for whom it's been destined, you know, there is a destiny. Jesus has destined, the Lord has destined us to be saved. It becomes wine. It becomes wine of joy through the working of the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit moved into the heart of man and changed us forever made a brand new creature out of us, transformed us into into what we ought to be, leads us and guides us and directs us and comforts us. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Pastor Steve, you all want to come on? I'm about to wind down. And Jesus accomplished what he set out to accomplish, did he not? He certainly did his disciples believed in him his walk in the flesh upon this earth accomplished precisely what he what was already foreordained by him even all the way to the rugged cross they didn't grab him up and put him on that cross and him just allow it i know that he that he went as a lamb in a sense he did allow it but he could have called the the angels of heaven to come And take Him off of that cross. He could have have slaughtered them all. But He didn't. He had a plan. He came to be the Lamb. He didn't come to be the King of the world at that time. But He came that you and I might be saved. When Jesus said, while nailed to the cross, He said, It is finished. It's finished. And He meant for all of eternity, it's finished. That ought to bring joy to our hearts. Stand with me if you will.